Hey guys, you are listening to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. I am Jamie and I'm your host and I'm so glad that you're here. If you like what you're listening to today, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We bring you new shows every Wednesday and Fridays and an amazing guest always joins me to chat about the big things in life, the little things in life and everything in between. Subscribe today to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey on your podcast player so you never miss an episode. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Happy 2020, my friends. It is a new decade. I thought it would be fun to talk to a few friends about what life was like for them 10 years ago, how life has changed, what the year 2010 brought them, what the last decade has brought them, and what they hope for over the next 10 years. Today, I'm sitting down with Nick Runyon to talk about his last decade. Nick and his wife, Whitney, have made many changes to their lives over the past 10 years. They lived in different countries, quit their jobs, which Nick was a pilot 10 years ago. They started a nonprofit, which you're going to hear more about and they've added three children to their family through adoption over the past couple of years. Here's my conversation with Nick about how his last decade from ages 25 to 35 has looked for him. Nick, welcome to the happy hour, the Your Last Decade special edition. Welcome. Thanks. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you here as well. Okay, introduce yourself to everyone. Tell us where you live and what you do, and then we're going to jump in real quick to your last decade. Okay, live in East Austin, and I am currently the executive director and co-founder of a nonprofit called The Archibald Project. I love it. And your wife, Whitney's in here as well. She is. We have a, a live studio audience today. Yay. She uh, can clap when we say something really good. Yeah, yeah there we the go. awesome things. Thank mm-hmm. you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Laugh track. Yes, exactly. Um, okay, so we're starting a new decade. It's 2020, which- Crazy. Someone told me the other day that they think that in the Jetsons, they spoke about 2020. Would that not blow your mind? That would. I kind of wish I had a house like that too. Right? That would be and Rosie. I want Rosie yeah. to come live with me as well. <laughs> would you be a fan if I asked you how old you are? No. Okay, how old are you? 35. I'll be 36 in a month. Okay, so 2020, back to 2010, you were 25 years old, which that feels like forever ago. It's crazy. I got a a couple of years on you, so I was not 25 10 years ago. Um, I would have been 31. Okay. 30, 31. How old would I have been? Goodness gracious, 31, yeah. Okay, so 25, 10 years ago, what did Nick's life look like? Well, I had just gotten married to this one sitting over here, and I was an airline pilot, and I had been doing that for three or four years at that point. I got a job pretty young in the airlines. What did you fly for? I flew for a Delta carrier and then for American Eagle. I just need you to know, I fly often. Recently on a flight, I was getting off and the the sweet little boy pilot came out of Mm -hmm. the room and I thought, dear Lord, he just got out of pilot school and he was trusted with my life. Yeah, He looked about 17. I bet that's what people thought when you were flying. My very first day. So if people don't know, you do all your training in a simulator, okay? And then- your first day actually flying the airplane is with passengers. That might scare some people, but you have a, a captain next to you that- Do they have like an emergency? Like they can take over all the controls if they need to? Yeah, yeah. You both have controls on oh each side. Gosh. And the captain is trained okay. to train people on the job. Okay. So I am in Orlando is where I'm based. And I walk out with my, the cleanest uniform you can imagine, because it's brand new. And I'm riding the train out to the plane and I see this lady and her husband talking. And I don't know if she just didn't care to hide it, but she goes, I would just get 
on another flight because she thought I looked so young. Uh-huh, yeah. I was terrified at that idea. Okay, so this is a, this has nothing to do with your last decade, but I cannot let this pass by. Okay. You mean to tell me the first time you fly outside of a simulator, you're in charge of people's lives? I wouldn't say in charge. You're there, but yeah. But you've flown a simulator that's very sophisticated and okay. it's very realistic and okay. you've proven yourself and taken all these tests to prove that you're not going to do anything dumb. I will say when I'm getting off a plane, if the pilot comes out, I always tell him or her, thank you. Because That's nice. I know. appreciate that. Yes, because I'm always very thankful that we made it. Mm-hmm. I'm not a scary flyer, but I've been on some where I was like, I don't know what's happening. But one more question about flying no, no, you're fine, before you're fine. we get to your last decade. Either increase your fears or appease them. I don't know which. I had a friend tell me one time that her cousin was a pilot and he said that a plane's not going to go down from turbulence. True. See, okay, see, I just helped everybody out. That always comes into my head when we hit turbulence. This is not going to kill us. No. We're going to get through it. Yeah, that's that's nothing to worry about. What is? What should we worry about? I'm not going to say. <laughs> <laughs> is it a bird? No, okay. not even that. Okay, good. Very little. Very little. Okay, yeah. good. Well, so great. I'm not a nervous flyer though, so this is great. So 10 years ago, you're 25, <laughs> newly married, mm-hmm. and you're flying planes. Yep. I know a little bit about your life now, and I know that a lot has happened yeah. in 10 years. A whole lot. So if you go back and you look at 25-year-old Nick, and you know now what your life looks like, mm-hmm. what would you want to tell that person 10 years ago? I think I would just tell myself to enjoy the process in the ride a little more. I feel like I spent so much time worrying about what was to come or worrying about the next thing or how am I going to get to this or there's all these problems from whatever this next year is and I want to accomplish instead of just enjoying the moment and that time. And, you know, because the job in aviation was, it really was a dream job, but I spent a lot of time thinking about the reasons I didn't like it instead of enjoying that season of my life. How long did you work in um, aviation? Uh, eight and a half years I was in that. I didn't realize that that was such a recent change for you. Yeah, it was at the very end of, I flew my last flight and I haven't flown an airplane since in November of 2014. Is a pilot license like where you could, you have to renew that license? Like if we needed to evacuate this area quite quickly and there happened to be a plane outside, could mm-hmm. you get us out of here? I could get us out of here. Okay. Legally, no. That's but- <laughs> my question. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't lose your license or your ratings. You have what they call currency. So there's certain levels of currency. So I could take a few tests and be current again. Yeah. So 10 years, you would look at yourself and say, enjoy the ride a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. What has happened, if you could give us a summary, because I know that a lot has happened in you and your wife Whitney's life in the past 10 years. What's gone on from pilot Nick 25 years ago to right now, dad, I'll give it away. Yeah. I'll shoot the lead. Three yeah. kids later. What's yeah. that look like for you? Like life now or that from- 10 years, what's gone on? Oh my goodness. I mean- Give us the high points. I don't even know where to start. Or the low points, wherever we want to go. Yeah. Well, it, it kind of came about gradually. You know, I got married to a very incredible woman who has lots of ideas and passions and they started blooming. We, I don't know, we worked out a lot in our marriage of, it all started, I think, with a trip to Southern Sudan to see a friend that was a missionary out there. And like, there was just things stirring in our hearts that we maybe had a, a place or some kind of mission of our own to do. We didn't know what that was going to be. And that culminated in 2011, the end of 2011, to going on a trip with a family from Houston to document their adoption of a boy with Down syndrome. And that that story, then when we brought it back, it inspired another family to adopt a boy who was chronically ill from Ukraine. And so that little boy from Bulgaria, his name was Archie. And that's how we got the Archibald Project Um, yeah, it was, 
And it was one of those things where I feel like the Lord used my flying career at that point because we could fly standby or non-rev for free around the world. Mm. We started this nonprofit around that idea kind of naively, but it allowed us to travel the world and go with families and document adoptions. So your wife, Whitney, was a photographer. Mm -hmm. And this kind of started for you guys with going and documenting the adoption of Archie. Uh, Ukraine? That was Bulgaria. Bulgaria. And that started the Archibald Project, which I'm guessing, and I could be stepping out on a limb here, that that doesn't seem like that was in y'all's trajectory of life, is to start a nonprofit about documenting adoptions. No, not at all. It just, we saw that we had an ability to use gifts we had been given, like photography and storytelling, to impact something in the world. And we found that really compelling. And so really the trajectory still at that point was we'll do this on the side. We do it on my vacation time, but I'm going to be a pilot and this is my career. I could see how my life worked out all the way till age 65 because that's when you have to retire as, as a, a pilot. pilot. Yeah. yeah. Got my retirement or my 401k, all that stuff lined up. But the more we started doing this and traveling the world, we had our eyes open to so many different things and just kind of how things really worked and things that we didn't know were happening in all these different countries. We saw the kind of the greatness of the problem and the complexity, and it even shifted our mission away from adoptions a little bit more to the orphan crisis and how this thing is very complicated and there's different pieces. There's adoption, but that's one small part that is actually part of a larger problem where there's families that are breaking apart for other reasons, and that's really the core. So we started speaking more about that and documenting stories about that, and it just, as we started to learn where we realized that there was way more that could be done and that was going to take our full-time effort. So that meant Whitney had to stop taking weddings, which was a really big part of our income. And I had to quit flying, which was a really scary, huge step. So that kind of came at the end of 2014. 2014. Okay. Um, I want to ask you a couple of questions because I know this is all developed in the last decade. You mentioned just now when you're talking about how it started out on Archibald Archibald Project as documenting a family's journey to bring their child home. So Mm -hmm. you started that with those two children and then it started expanding. But then you mentioned that you guys started to have your eyes open a little bit. Yeah. And you started to see there's a larger problem at stake here. Mm -hmm. Can you talk with me for just a second about, did that feel good to feel like there's a larger problem or did this feel as though it made the whole thing even more complicated and more easy to misunderstood? And I mean, from like an adoption standpoint, because just to kind of let everyone know, you and your wife adopted three children, but Mm -hmm. this is before then. Way before then, So then your eyes are open to, oh, there's more to tell stories than just adoption. To me, that would feel a little difficult to kind of wrestle through. Was that difficult for you guys to wrestle through? Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially for my personality, I like to see things and see like how I can, how this is all going to work out and I'm going to fix it and make it happen. And I feel like this, it, it just made it feel more daunting of an effort, but still a worthy effort. But you're dealing with um, talking about a very simple, not that adoption's simple, but the idea of, oh, we're just going to, everyone should adopt. It's a really easy message to get out there and for people to jump on board. And it's still some of our most popular media because it's the most familiar, but it it didn't feel authentic. And I feel like that's something that we've always strived for is this authenticity that people see the real story as much as possible. And I loved doing that, but yeah, it brought a a layer of- Probably changed your style of documenting things as well. Totally did. I feel one of the things with adoption is it's there's this beautiful picture of going over and getting the child and then bringing a child home is to me where it's hard to document anymore. And mm-hmm. you and your wife, before we started airing, talked about this personally a little bit, both of us having um, formed our families through adoption, is it's difficult to have those conversations. Has that leaked over into any of y'all's documentary style of the after bringing home a child through adoption? 
In terms of like the style of story or- Just uh, are you telling those stories? Yeah, I think we started trying to find more opportunities to tell, like to get people that had gone through it who have advice to give. That's good. And that was maybe done more in podcasts then and blogs where yeah. people could write anonymously if they had to about their experience. Because you're you're talking about people's personal lives now. This isn't just an exciting moment of meeting a child. It's you're in the real nitty gritty- like helping children heal from trauma is a really, really difficult thing. And people can't always talk about that on a a video, right? And so, but there's so much, we found there's so much wisdom from people 10 years down the road Mm -hmm. who have lived it and can really offer good advice for people who are maybe at the beginning and hope and things like that. So we try to highlight that stuff if we can. You know what I find interesting? And this, you guys will think this is funny because my my, um, ideas about adoption have um, altered and grown and changed and morphed over the last 10 years as well. But your wife, you guys actually did a video on us and you came Mm -hmm. over and you came to our house and we talked about adoption and you interviewed some of my kids and I can look back on that and they're so stinking cute. They're so little and they just have the cutest little voices and now they're like men and they talk like this. <laughs> in that video, um, I watch, I don't know if I've ever told you this, Whitney, I watch that video now and I say a phrase that I literally cringe every time I watch it. Um, I cringe because I've grown so much in my thoughts about adoption over 10 years. Yeah. And I did an interview recently and I did not know where, I did not know they were going to do this, but they they played a piece from that. And it's the it's the sentence that I wish I could take out. I'm so sorry. It's not like, your oh, fault. No, well, kind of. I mean, because we didn't know what you were doing back then either. No, I mean, so. that's what I'm saying. We just grow and we learn. But they played that one sentence. And I totally like, you know, whenever you're doing an interview, you can answer a question however you want to answer it. And I totally just worked myself around it. And then after we were done, I was like, let me tell you a funny story. And the story is, it, and when I watch that video, I say a sentence that I wish I could take back. But I don't say that in a bad way. I say like, I've grown so much in 10 years and I just happen to have it out on the internet, yeah. you know? Yeah. But 10 years, I mean, golly, a lot can change. Yeah. Well, and I think it's what's hard in our society is people take things you say 10 years ago and apply it to your life mm. now. And like you said, you've grown, but you know, even people that write books, they may have written a book in their 25-year-old self, Yes, but now their 35-year-old self, they're like, I would never say those same things, but it's out there. It's in print. It's to the world. And like, if someone picks it up new, they think that's where you are. That's not necessarily true. So podcast world too. Yeah, exactly. I know. Listen to the show from five years ago and you're like, really? I said that out loud? Golly. Can we change that? Um, Okay. So you guys at the end of 2014, Mm -hmm. um, you are now full on Archibald Project. That was a pivotal moment in our life. And I think it even played into where we are now with the kids where we, I kind of spoke to the, we were at this point where we could see how we were going to get our paycheck all the way till 65 with a retirement and everything. And we went from that to having about maybe three months of money in the bank. And it was really scary. It was really, it was easy to like dream and think about it. And as this exciting thing, we're going to do this nonprofit full time and we're so cool. And then when it came down to the day of actually quitting my job and not having that safety net, I was I was in tears, like on my last flight, and like I met, I went met Whitney at the airport. She had to pick me up when I came home, and I just like hugged her and started sobbing. It was it was a sweet moment, but really really scary. I can I can just only imagine what that might be like jumping into almost the unknown. You know, yeah. you're giving up everything that is secure to do something that you believe in. What did those first couple of years look like with Archibald Project of jumping in? Still just a lot of learning, you know, just like back in 2011 or 12 when we first started, we 
you know, thought we had a lot more figured out then. And we were just every single, we, we moved to Uganda right away. So quit, quit my job. Whitney quit her job. We went from where I was gone four days a week flying in home three to living with each other every day, which, which is great. That, I know, but, but, it's, but a shift. it's a shift. Yeah. 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 To living, doing that in a foreign country, working the same job and trying to navigate just this new Now what new led life. y'all to Uganda? One of the ways that we were able to We fundraised a little bit before we left, but we went there to run these things we called media missions where we would bring in another group of, or groups of artists, like photographers or writers or painters even came sometimes. We would introduce them to a orphan care organization. We would have them learn about it. And then we would teach them to develop a story around that to then turn over some of their media to this organization to bless them that they could use for fundraising. And then they would go back to their individual homes all over the country and advocate for that place. So it was a way to replicate what we did. But we were able to raise some money for the nonprofit through that. So we ran three trips out of Uganda at that point, And it was easier to live there and bring people through than try to go back and forth. Yeah. Where were y'all in Uganda? We're in Jinja. Okay. Which I've been to Jinja. And if I were to go live in Uganda, that'd be a great place to go live. It is. It's it. There's so many. I had Mexican food when I was in Jinja. Yeah. Like an amazing coffee shop. Yeah. You've probably been to the coffee shop I was at. Yeah. 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 I think we probably have. Probably have. So how long were you guys in Uganda? We were there for about five months and then we came home and we ended up in Romania at some point that year. I think we ran another media mission to Romania, which was, and I'll say Eastern Europe, Romania is such a, I have a dear spot in my heart for that place. It's really interesting and dark, but also beautiful at the mm-hmm. same time. So just side yeah. note. And then actually later that same year, we got asked to document an adoption in the Congo. And we actually met our kids on that trip for the first time, but had no idea. And adoption was not on our radar. Whitney actually has pictures of our kids from that trip. I have video clips of them, one of them in my lap. Things and what like year that. was that? That was 2015. There are many paths to finding your family story. Whichever way you choose, it's easy to get started with Ancestry. An Ancestry DNA test tells you where your ancestors are from, and Ancestry's billions of records and millions of family trees let you discover their personal stories. You could find a famous relative or perhaps a photo of your great-grandmother as a little girl. Researching your history is a fun activity for the whole family, and the stories you learn about your shared past can bring you closer together. Ancestry DNA can reveal ethnic origins and provide historical details that bring unique family stories to life. Ancestry DNA doesn't just tell you which countries you're from, but also can pinpoint the specific regions within them, providing insightful geographic detail about your history. Trace the paths of your recent ancestors and learn how and why your family moved from place to place around the world. My mom is tracing our ancestors right now, and it is such a great experience. No other DNA test delivers such a unique interactive experience as Ancestry. Start exploring your family story today. Head to Ancestry.com slash happy hour to get your Ancestry DNA kit and start your free trial. That's Ancestry.com slash happy hour. I believe in having clean options. I support companies who innovate products that break the norm and help clean up my daily routine. That's why I love Native for my deodorant needs. In fact, I love it so much, I just gifted my mom with a Native deodorant. Native is made with ingredients that you've actually heard of, like coconut oil, shea butter, and tapioca starch. They never use things like aluminum, parabens, sulfates, or talc. 
It's also vegan and never tested on animals. Native just released plastic-free deodorant made from 100% paperboard and shipped in a plastic-free bag. Switching to an aluminum-free deodorant doesn't mean you have to sacrifice on odor protection. Native will keep you smelling and feeling fresh all day long. Native comes in over 10 scents like coconut and vanilla and lavender and rose, plus rotating seasonals like the pumpkin spice latte collection. My favorite scent right now out of all of them is the coconut and vanilla. I have loved it this summer. I'm thinking about trying lavender and rose next. Maybe even a pumpkin spice latte deodorant. Native is risk-free to try with free shipping within the U.S. and free 30-day returns and exchanges. Guys, do what I did and make the switch to Native today by going to nativedeo, that's D-E-O, dot com slash Jamie Ivey, or use the promo code Jamie Ivey, J-A-M-I-E-I-V-E-Y at checkout and get 20% off your first order. That's nativedeo.com slash Jamie Ivey, or use my name as a promo code Jamie Ivey at checkout for 20% off your first order. Okay, so five years ago, you're on a trip to the Congo. Um, five years ago? Yeah. yeah. You're on a trip to the Congo, and you're documenting someone's adoption, mm-hmm. and you meet the kids that would later become your kids. Yeah. That gives me the chills. Pretty and ad- you just said adoption was not on your radar. As much time as you guys spent in adoption, was it something you guys thought you would work into your family plan? Yeah, we talked about it a lot, and it was it was on the radar, but we felt like we're still just getting our feet under us with this taking a paycheck, just this full-time nonprofit thing that we don't have the space for this right now. We felt like with our time, we could do more for more children in the in that space by continuing to give our full time to the work. Yeah, yeah. And then I got to you got to bring me up to speed of how did you meet those kids in 2015 and then how did you and your wife begin to adopt them? Yeah, so uh did lots of stuff with the nonprofit between 2015 and 2017 and then it was the summer of 2017 we got asked by some people from that organization that we went with in 2015 to come back because there was a few families that were being matched or they were meeting their kids or there mm-hmm. was adoption days and they wanted some photography from that and so we said we would come and they said also uh we have this sibling set of 3 that they were matched with a family and it fell through and they just they really need a family would you be praying for a family for them they didn't ask you they didn't ask us no this has happened to me before, not with children, but with other things in life where they're like, hey, would you pray about this? And the next thing you know, you're the answer to that prayer. So I see how God works. Yeah. And this is a part of our story. It's not the reason we would have adopted necessarily, but we'd also been going through infertility for quite a few years. And we just started both thinking on our own, like, are we maybe that family? And we considered it and talked about it. And who said it first? Oh my gosh, Whitney, for sure. (laughs) She was ready to go. I think she thought about it for maybe two days and then was like, I think we should do this. And I was like, I need two months to even get where you're at. (laughs) So we wrestled through that. It was was a really hard time because it was a really big decision. It was not one kid, it was three it was... Um, and how, how old were they at the time? They were... The oldest would have been five and the twins would have been three, I think, okay. at that time. Okay. And we we just talked through it and it, it came, at least for me, Whitney was on board a lot sooner, which she tends to be. And that's really good. It's a good balance. But it came down in my mind to this, all the reasons that I was saying no, even so though some of them were, I still would say, completely legitimate. Mm-hmm. They were all fears of, would this... I can't do this because of money or because of how are we still going to run the Archibald Project? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? And they had validity, but it just felt like 
all of that could work out. Yeah. And it didn't mean it was going to be easy, but it did mean it was possible. And yeah. so we gave our our yes, not based, I would say, as much on emotion, but on like, this is some something I feel like we can fulfill. Yeah. When we were starting to adopt Amos, it would have been our fourth. It would have been, at that time, third kid. Aaron looked at me and said, we only have four chairs around our table. There's no way we can adopt him. Like that was his very first excuse was like, yeah. it doesn't make sense. We don't have enough chairs. And I was like, baby, I think we can get another chair. Like this is, <laughs> we can do this. So when you made the decision, yes, was that decision made before you went over to do that documentation? So we actually went on that trip to do the documentation and meet our kids in that way. And had y'all, and had you and Whitney said yes to them already? We had. Okay. We had. So this work trip just turned into a little more than a work trip. Yeah. And, and I, I would tell people like, even after we said yes for me, it, it was not all this bright rosy, like, oh, I can't believe it. And I'm so excited. Like it was heavy. It was a it was a big thing. And it had nothing to do with the kids or a desire to be family to them. It was more just the sheer change in yeah. our life that was coming. It was a lot that was going to happen. And it was, it was scary. Did you guys have this kind of feeling of, hey, we've seen this adoption stuff go down. We've documented this. We know how this is going to feel. Did you go into it thinking, I know what to expect? And then my follow-up question obviously would be, how did those expectations line up with what those next? I feel like we had seen so many different stories that I knew I couldn't really know That's what to good. expect. Because I have seen some where it's just this magical, like people feel like they were meant to be together. And then others where there's just a lot of struggle. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't know, it just depends on what your story is. But it doesn't matter what the feelings are in the moment. It came down to it being a commitment. Yeah. Kind of like marriage can seem really, like when you first get married, you're so in love. And then mm-hmm. it gets really hard and it comes down to like, I choose you and I am going to love you and I'm going to love you through my commitment and putting your needs above mine. And that's what adoption became and what it has to be really. Yeah. So you go meet your kids, you're committed to adopting them. Mm -hmm. What moved you guys over there? They were getting older. So, you know, they were three and five, I think still at the time. And because of our job with the nonprofit, we could kind of work from wherever. And we had done that before internationally. And so we had legal custody and guardianship of them in country. And so May of 2018, we moved over there so we could start bonding process sooner. And because typically, like if you were a pilot and, you know, Whitney was a wedding photographer and you had those jobs, you couldn't just get up and leave. And so you would stay in the adoption process like most people do. Yes. Until there's about two weeks left in the process. Then you go over and do the final paperwork, get the visas, and then they can come home. And you guys just said, well, we have the flexibility. We can do this. Yeah. Let's move. Yeah. Which was, um, it was a big decision. It was, I wouldn't recommend it, but I also think it was really healthy for the kids too. It's one of those things, you know, like it, I don't know, it was so hard to be over there and go through such a change in our life. And we had, went from zero to three kids. We had no family with us. We were living in a foreign country, no community, no friends, no, no breaks. You're just on all the time. And, you know, when both of us went down in a hard place, it was, there was no one there to pull you up. So there was just some really tough days. And it's, and then you're met with like, but I'm with, you have these inner feeling, these struggles of like, oh, but I'm not supposed to feel this way because here I am, I'm with my kids. I mean, I felt that on the smallest level, we'd go visit our kids in Haiti and we'd be there for a week. And it was a hard week. Very hard week. And all I wanted to do was get back in my house, my bed and see my other kids and but I knew what it was for, but I didn't do that for how many weeks? 50, how, how, many, how long? We, we were there for seven months. Yeah. Total. Yeah. And it, you know, we, we thought it would be shorter than that. And that was hard. And, we, and that's the thing is we knew from our experience how things change so much in mm-hmm. adoption and timelines get delayed. But 
when we were there, like all we could hope for was the day to go home. And we just kept hoping for that. And so we'd get maybe too overly optimistic about certain deadlines that we thought were going to happen. Then they wait and then we'd just be devastated. And But we'd make it back out of it. Yeah. And, you know, it's, there was a lot of grace for all of us in that time. And eventually December of uh, 2018, December 14th. So it was one year ago. Last month. La- or yeah. It was, we came home. And, yeah. yeah. So your very last year of this decade has been at home, new dad, three children, mm-hmm. through adoption, um, still running the nonprofit. If you look at the last decade, a lot's changed in your life. A lot. This is actually huh? a really good reflection time. <laughs> I haven't thought about it this much. It's, it's good. A lot has changed. And I, I can't imagine that the last year has been um, a little bit harder just with the, the adjustments and adoption. And I've walked this road. I understand the difficultness that has come from that. Um, what do you look forward to? We're starting 2020 a new year, a new decade. Is it even possible for you to wrap your brain around what your life might look like in 10 years? I mean, I can I can dream or imagine, but based on the last 10 years, I almost don't dare because I have no idea. What do you hope for? Um, a couple things. I think on the family side, I hope to just see continued healing for the kids because what's happened in the past year and a half, I mean, when you actually take the time to think deeply about how things were back when we were first in Congo versus now, they've come so far. They've healed so much. Um, like their little personalities are coming out in ways that people there didn't know that like they're becoming who God made them to be. And it's really beautiful because that was stifled in ways without having the love of a family before. Like it really is so healing and it's cool to see, but it's, it takes so long to play out and it's small steps. Uh, So I'm just excited to see them grow and become more whole and healthy. I think Whitney and I are still healing from our time there and from everything that we've gone through with that adoption and just becoming more of a family and um, how it's grown our marriage and our, you know, we we said to each other after we left Congo that we felt like we came back as war buddies, like we'd been through something together really deep and special that if you make it through it, you have a whole new level of relationship. And so I'm excited to see what that looks like in the next 10 years. And then for the nonprofit too, I want to, I've always tried to hold that loosely. I don't want it to be something that if it's run its course, we hold on to it too tight and try to make it something that doesn't really need to exist anymore, but it still has life and the Lord keeps helping move it along. And I think it could have a much, much larger impact even than what it has now. And I'm excited to see what that looks like. Thrive Market delivers organic and sustainable groceries right to your door. Just recently, I went to Thrive Markets. I got my account and I stocked up on snacks because my kids all day long, mom, we need more snacks. We need more snacks. And what I loved about it is I could go straight to Thrive Market. I could pick out that I wanted vegan or paleo or gluten-free, whatever might need our family's needs. And they are going to deliver it straight to my door. And I'm a happy mama. And those kids are happy kids. As a Thrive Market member, your paid membership provides a free one for someone in need, like a low-income family, teacher, veteran, or first responder. Thrive Market tailors to over 70 different diets and values, like paleo, keto, or plant-based, delivering the highest quality organic and sustainable essentials from groceries, healthy snacks, meat and seafood, clean wines, non-toxic cleaning, bath and body, and stuff for your pets, which I also got some great dog bones for my sweet little puppers. As a member, you're going to save 25 to 50% off traditional retail prices, and their carbon neutral shipping is free on orders over $49. 
In addition to membership matching, which is so phenomenal that they do that, Thrive Market has raised over $750,000 to date through their COVID-19 relief fund. If this sounds like something you're interested, go to thrivemarket.com slash happy hour. Join today and you're going to get a free gift of your choosing up to $22 in value. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, market.com slash happy hour because you're listening on the happy hour. Go there today to start your risk-free membership and get a free gift today. Thrivemarket.com slash happy hour. Well, I'm sitting here across from you guys as someone who has been a parent to kids through adoption for a decade. Yeah. And so it's even, you know, as Aaron and I sat a couple of weeks ago and looked back at the last decade, it's sometimes weird to even think about everything God can do within a family in 10 years. And so yeah. it'll be fun to see what God does in the Runyon family in the next 10 years. I mean, you'll have 15-year-old twins. That is crazy. Isn't that crazy? That is so crazy. I can't even imagine. What grade is your oldest in? First. Okay, so not the, I, I can't do math very well. That puts them in like 10th grade, 12th grade in 10 years. Yeah. I'll go with that. I yeah, mean, maybe. yeah, you'll, you'll have high school kids, which is just on another level. High school kids are fun. Okay. They're That's fun. good to know. Yeah. It's bigger issues, bigger challenges. You know, we're worried about different things than you are now, but it's fun. Even when they're like the worst jerks, they're still fun. That's most, good to most know. Most of the time. Can I, am I allowed to ask you any questions? Yeah, go for it. Do you feel like, what have you learned with your family in this past 10 years? If you could give some advice to me or people out there that are in the mix of it right now, like you have that 10 years experience, what would you, it's like a couple good advice words you would give on that? Um, I think if I look back at myself 10 years ago, uh, newly parenting four kids, two just home from Haiti, 10 years ago, I had a five-year-old, two four-year-olds and a two-year-old. Um, I think I would have thought about the end game a little bit more. Uh, things in the moment really bothered me, small things. And there's a thin line because as a parent, like you can't, you, you got to stay on things yeah, because you don't want that to grow. But I remember looking back and didn't have an end game in mind, if that makes sense. Like everything was big to me. I think also when I talk about even with adoption, I wish I would have understood trauma a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I always give the example. My son Amos had been home about y'all three months, maybe less. And we were vegetarians. Well, all the kid wanted was some meat. <laughs> <laughs> and I made my kids, I still do to this day, I made them eat salad with every meal. He didn't want salad. And we had a throwdown at the table with a kid who had just been home for three months. And I look back at that and I can laugh about it now. Amos would laugh about it. But I look at that woman and I think you had you were holding onto the wrong things a little too tight. Yeah. And I just, I wish I would have loosened up on the salad and gave him some meatballs. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, like, but in the moment that felt so big to me. No. It does. It really but does. But it wasn't. 10 years later, the salad didn't really matter. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard because, yeah, you got to eat your salad. But I held on to that really tightly. So that's why I think I would look back and just be like, look, hold the big things tight and let the little things go. That's good. I can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. In 10 years, I might look back at what I'm holding tightly to my 14-year-old and say, Jamie, you could have chilled out a little bit. What's but. the salad in your life right now? It's not salad. It's the, you know, how do you talk to me? Wait, excuse me. Did you say yes, ma'am? Like those kind of things, which, you know, I'm from the South. So you need to say yes, ma'am and no, ma'am. Yeah. But Aaron doesn't make them. So it's kind of funny. We don't fight about it, but it's interesting. I was like, oh, I'm the only one that requires this in the house, but I don't know why it is. But they do it. They know. So um, Nick, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This is Um, great. My favorite thing about this little series that we're doing is I think it can show a lot of hope to people. Like even if you were to sit down with me and say, these last 10 years were the worst 10 years of my life. 
this is the worst year I'm in, which you didn't. But I think if we, when we look back at 10 years, we see things differently. I just told you an example of how I see things differently. You could look back and see things differently. And so no matter what season, whoever's listening is in right now in this moment, I would bet money you could look back on 10 years and see some good things and some goodness. It's something, I think it's something we need to do more of in our society. We're so focused on the next thing that we forget to reflect on everything that's happened. And that was even biblical. They set up statues and reminders of that Mm -hmm. stuff because it is so easy to forget what's happened and all that you've learned and where you've come from. Yeah. That'd be a good question to ask people. Do you have an Ebenezer, like something that you remember? Yeah. It's like an Ebenezer podcast. Ooh, an Ebenezer podcast. Look at you. I like it. You can have it. I don't have any room for any more podcasts in my life. Um, Thank you so much. And um, I will put all the links to Archibald Project and everything you guys are doing. So thank you. Thank you. I love when I asked Nick what he wanted to tell his 25-year-old self that he said to enjoy the ride and the process. And isn't that just the truth? I think I could say that to myself as well. Looking back, it's easy for us to see the ways that we might have missed out on parts of the process because we were too worried about solving the next problem. I think we should listen to Nick's advice as we look forward over the next couple of years. As we said in the show, Nick and his wife, Whitney, founded the Archibald Project, and I encourage you to go check it out and see the amazing work that they are doing there. They also host the podcast Around the World with the Archibald Project, which you can find wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to this special edition of The Happy Hour, Your Last Decade. Our hope in all of these shows is that you too can reflect on your last decade. No matter if you were 23, 65, or 12 in the last decade, look back and see all the things that God has done in your life and where he has brought you. How have you persevered? How have you screwed up? What would you do differently? And what are you proud of? Also, looking back, it always causes me to look forward. So what do you hope to see happen in your next decade? Today's show is edited by Chris with Podshaper and organized by Lindsay Sweeney. The music is developed for the show by Matt Graham and show notes are written by Aki Slockers. We'd love it if you enjoyed this show, if you would share it with your friends. Word of mouth is actually the number one way that people find out about our podcast and we are so very thankful for that. Hey guys, you are listening to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. I am Jamie and I'm your host and I'm so glad that you're here. If you like what you're listening to today, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We bring you new shows every Wednesday and Fridays and an amazing guest always joins me to chat about the big things in life, the little things in life and everything in between. Subscribe today to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey on your podcast player so you never miss an episode.